Hey, welcome back to Sitting In. This is episode nine, and today we're talking about gear. But before we start, I want to ask everybody, just out of curiosity, what are you drinking? That's, I'm glad you asked me, Jack, because I'm actually drinking some sweet, sweet bean juice out of my guitar fuel mug right now. And, you know, this is a perfect segue, actually, into uh, <laughs> inviting you to uh, share this experience with us through the beans. So if you're enjoying a coffee right now and you think, you know what, these guys deserve a coffee because they're just giving me so much value and that was just a great introduction. You know, Jack deserves a brew. You can buy us a coffee via the link in the uh, description of this podcast. Just click on uh, the buy me a coffee link and you can support the podcast. All proceeds go towards caffeine addiction, um, (laughs) making this podcast more enjoyable and... Yeah, can't wait to receive all your bean juice. Of course, as well, if you want to support the podcast, perhaps by um, the merchandise, we also have a merchandise store, store, which we sell these bad boys at the uniform, as we sometimes call it. Um, and the mugs that you see as well, both Callum and Reese have different kinds of mugs, but you can get both of them over at the store. And it really helps out the podcast as well. And so we really appreciate it. So now that we've done all the marketing side of things, the boring side, the admin side, What we're going to talk about today is a subject that I am a little uneasy on my feet about, but I'm sure we're going to lead into some really fun discussion. And today's topic is really about gear. Does it matter? And does it matter for you as well? Um, So we're going to just spin this question around as well, uh, just a little bit talking about all kinds of things, you know, perhaps what gear that we're experimenting with the moment or what our realizations are about gear as well. Gear seems to be a question that always gets asked when we look for uh, questions via sitting in um channels as well when we ask for questions so it seems like a really popular thing that people are curious about sort of finding out and how important it is as well but let's kick it off then so callum how important is gear to you what does it mean to you um i'll talk about it from two perspectives one being live playing and one being you know in the box as we call it um in the box is like where my domain is that's like where i experiment the most you know, I love playing about with different sounds, um, different amp sims, things like that. Like it's it's this it's the way that I practice too. Like you know, I use um, a lot of virtual instruments, so I kind of class that as 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 gear that you would use essentially. So you know, because I've got those things, I can get the sound of a very nice grand piano on this very cheap keyboard that I've got behind here. Um, it's the same with amp sims and all that kind of stuff. I can get really nice guitar tones. So from that point of view, like the in-the-box stuff is is actually essential for me. Like it's it's really needed. Um, it's, it's needed not from just like a teaching standpoint, a creative standpoint, a practical standpoint. Like I'm, I'm practicing, I'm doing everything through that. Live, with a gig that I've done recently, I just rock up with a bass guitar and a lead. That's it. So like from the kind of live perspective, it is a little bit different. As much as I would kind of like to have, you know, a nice a nice big one box thing that has everything inside it that I can use because of the way that my work has mainly been it's actually been really beneficial to be or put more money into gear in inside the box basically um so yeah maybe I can get into more a little bit later on just about like what kind of things I maybe use and stuff like that but maybe maybe that is quite a different point maybe from your from yourself but yeah Reese, are you going to say something yeah, um, for the listener at home, can you explain what in the box means? So in the box is really um, like in your DAW, in your digital audio workstation. 
um, and the different effects and virtual instruments that you maybe use. I think it's, I think it's, I think it comes from, I've heard mixers use it. Like they mix in the box, headphones on with their laptop, as opposed to at the studio with all the real manual faders, um, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, that is, that is in the box essentially being, you can be on the move and still be in the box, which is kind of cool. Nice. Thanks for clarifying. My relationship to gear is weird, I think. <laughs> so I have more guitars than you can see right now. I have guitars. Wait, that's not the cupboard. There's a cupboard over there. I have guitars literally in the cupboard at this point. I have guitars downstairs. I got guitars upstairs. I got guitars in my parents' house. I have too many bloody guitars, right? But <laughs> they just kind of show up at certain times in your life and you forget to get rid of them. That's how I feel about guitars. I could do a one or two. I'd like a single coiled instrument and a humbucker instrument that's probably semi-hollow, if not fully hollow. Like, I'm a very simple guy, contrary to what my, uh, well, situation suggests. Um, now, that's not to say I don't think it's a good idea to try loads of different instruments, because I, I feel like I've gotten pretty close to, like, the one, but that one is in flux every five or so years when something else shows up, or I develop a relationship with guitar that I just didn't play as much beforehand and I've gone through several phases uh only playing a Strat only playing a 3T5 and now I'm kind of just playing a lot of different D'Angelico guitars really um I should also say that my relationship to gear changed when I started getting endorsed uh there were def different pressures um that I'd never experienced before maybe we can chat about that later um and in terms of ampage again I, I like to keep it quite simple i could have one amp for every gig and i'd be very happy um and for the longest time i had actually been using my line 6 helix which is sort of similar to like the in the box thing that calm's describing though it's a pedal and i found that that was useful for pretty much any situation so i'd rock up to a gig with my guitar and my pedal board which had the helix on it and i would be prepared for any situation even if i had to play bass you know i've got bass presets dialed in i've got keyboard presets dialed in you know everything i'd ever need uh until recently that thing uh conked out on me and it no longer functions so i'm quite sad about that and i need to i need in capital letters to replace that before the 28th because i need it for a gig so yeah i'm not sure if i even answered your question there calm the coffee is uh kicking in <laughs> over <laughs> you jack it's, you know, it's really funny, like, I think a lot of people who know me know that I am not the most sophisticated sort of gearhead as well. And so I feel like I'm always arriving really late to the party when it comes to gear. Um, and I think especially in the past two years, it's something that I've actually started to become concerned with because it leads to my next question that I do want to ask you both, which is really about the role of gear. You know, how important is it? What does it factor into? And it, almost immediately... I think about an episode that we did here on Sitting In last year with Tom Ford. And Tom talked about something really important that he discovered at Berkeley, which was that your relationship to your guitar acoustically, you know, kind of not plugged in, is very different from your relationship to, you know, through an amplifier and through a pedal board and all those sort of things as well. And how really, you know, it's, it's simple and it's easy to practice acoustically kind of just in your room and or quietly or whatever but 
the actual kind of sound that you're getting back from it is not true to what happens when you go on stage. And so he talks about, you know, I think he said playing a note and, it, you know, it's, it's really kind of surprising. It, the sound for one comes out of nowhere. Um, perhaps it's louder, perhaps the tone is different or just it reacts differently to your hands. So the thing that was really kind of inspiring to hear Tom talk about was the fact that he treats the guitar, the amp, the pedals, all that sort of thing um, as, and I suppose the strings as well, to, to kind of make a fuller analogy. He treats all of those things as the instrument. So that the guitar alone is not your instrument, is not your sound. And so, you know, hearing that was 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 quite a big game changer for me, at least, thinking, well, I feel like a different guitar player when I plug in next to playing acoustically. I feel very confident when I play acoustically next to plugging in. So I think the past kind of year or two years, really, has been about trying to find out what it is that I want to sound like, first of all. Perhaps what gear will take me there as well, because there's been a few kind of mishaps along the way as well and stuff that I haven't particularly kind of got on with and I've traded out for other things as well. But yeah, the big realization for me is like, I just need to sit more with it and just get used to that being my sound as well. So currently what I'm using is uh, a, a big, it's, it's not in this room at the moment, which is, which is good because it seems to just have a gravitational field of its own. It's huge. It's the Supro T9, uh, 1690T, which is a really, really fantastic amp, especially when the tubes are warmed up as well. Um, but it's uh, it's pretty heavy to bring onto a gig. But yeah, that paired with like a pretty modest uh, a pretty modest pedal board as well is 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 pretty simple. And of course, uh, I've been messing with some of the kind of plugins and neuro DSP stuff as well um, for the box, as it's put. But you know, it does lead me on to that question then for 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 each of you is like, what is the role of gear for you? Mm. Good question. Now, when I'm looking for a setup, and I must say that like my setup does change potentially every six months. You know, I just, I like to rejig it. I'm very much a fan of just changing stuff up every now and then and trying to see what that brings out of me as a musician or a person. And I found that the heavier the gear, the less happy a person I become. And the lighter the gear, the less colours I have available to paint in a musical situation. Now, I've tried having every pedal I own on a pedal board I've also tried pretty much using nothing but like one multi-effects. You know, I used an Axe FX for a while. I also used the Line 6 Helix for a while. And I found that neither of those sides of the coin are really perfect for me. I like something right in the middle. So what I look for when I'm making a setup, I guess, is something that is transportable for one, right? So I live in the city centre in Edinburgh, and it's quite easy to get about here. So I could walk to a gig or just hop on a bus or whatever. And so I look for something that is quite easy to transport. And I've found that, you know, I can fit a decent sized pedal board in my, my pedal board bag and it doesn't break my back. Um, I also make sure that I have really comfortable guitar cases. I hate handheld guitar cases because they just whack off your legs and stuff when you're walking about. <laughs> so I'm very much a fan of, and unofficial, unofficially I endorse mono cases. They are fantastic for getting your stuff around very comfortably and reliably. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the real world application of gear, I look for stuff that is versatile and transportable, to be honest, more than anything. I really do believe that nowadays the guitars that are getting created are, they're good enough for anybody. You could pick up a Squire just out of a guitar store, have it set up in a minute and 
you can still make your thing happen. Um, I'm really not a snob when it comes to like, I need this specific model or, you know, I'm not that fussed to be honest. I'm just very fortunate to have so many instruments available to me. And as a result, I've found a few that I really like, but I would be totally fine hopping on stage in five minutes with a Fender, Squire, Stratocaster and just play the gig. You know, that, that'd be fun for me. It's another uh, challenge I'd have to deal with. Um, another side of that, just to answer the question a little bit differently, is um, the role of gear in my life is also that I am endorsed by several companies and a result of that relationship is that I'm expected to create content with certain types of gear. And that's been an ongoing thing for the last four years or so now. And I find that that certainly changes my relationship to gear, whether it be in a positive way of, oh, I've had to learn something new about this thing. And as a result, I've found a way to make it work in my setup, like a chorus pedal, for example. Never used to really like those too much, but had to make some content for one. And I found some cool ways of using it. Um, or the other side of it is that I... I don't know, maybe I get this new piece of equipment and I just genuinely don't actually like it, but I've got to try and make something happen with it. And that's quite a difficult thing for me to manage. Um, but anyway, I could probably talk about this uh, for longer than you want to hear me talk about it. So I'm going to pass it on. Callum, are you want to share? Yeah, yeah. Lots of great takeaways from both um, Eurice and Jack. Um, I really liked what you were saying there about um, the individual sound being created by you know everything it's like the uh the combination of amp and guitar and like even like the way it's being played because i think that's one thing that um as i mentioned before i think on other podcasts like part of the sound is literally this like how you're using the pick like all the all the kind of things that they attribute to your sound so if gear is specifically what it does to your sound then you could class like what picks you use and stuff maybe maybe you could kind of cross that in but um yeah, I was going to go into something else there. What was I going to go into? Um, I've totally forgot. Yeah, that that kind of um, what was it you were an- just answering there? Like, what's the is it the why for the gear? What did you? What was it? The role of gear. Yeah. So yeah, that was the one. So for me, because I do find myself like quite a creative individual. Like a lot of effects and gear and guitars and stuff like that. As much as I don't really have a lot of them at the, at my disposal it's always there for a creative point of view basically it's like i'm I, I basically what we were saying earlier just uh in episode eight is like having that ability to be playful and still like you know to try and act like a kid sometimes like never lose that because it's that kind of um interest in something like it, you know you get really fascinated by something you want to spend time with it and it's that wondering it's that like feeling of wonder and things like that and just being able to experiment that's that's still there for me all the time with you know different sounds in this case different plugins being in, in the box and different effects and you know i i have that like I've, I've got this playground of things that i can just mesh together and just see what comes out there's no strict formula for anything that you're creating you're just you're just simply experimenting and that's just something that that's that's the role of it for me is really just to kind of experiment as much as it is, you know, the other side of things where maybe it's like a bit of gear for a specific kind of gig. Um, you're trying to emulate like maybe a specific keyboard sound, a synth sound, then you're looking at working out patches and then that becomes a slightly different role when you're gigging or something like that. But just fundamentally for me, it's, it's all about that creative process. 
Jack, I don't think you've answered the question. Like, what role would you say that it plays in your life? Because, yeah, we've, we've spoken about this quite a lot over the years, and I think your opinion on it's changed a lot. Yeah, definitely. It, my opinion has changed on it. Um, I think sort of taken from something you said, Callum, which is the added creativity that it gets you when you dip your toe into that water. And I think for me personally, and I'm sure there are people out there listening to this that sort of get this as well. For me, my curiosity has always been at the instrument. It's always been, you know, what can I create from the instrument? What can I do on it? That gear and sound and all that kind of thing has always sort of been an afterthought to me until very recently where I've started to realize that, okay, you know, I'm pretty comfortable in what it is that I'm trying to do or, or, or whatever, that I'm starting to become more concerned with the actual sound that is portrayed when I do X, Y, and Z. Um, and you know, it's funny, like, I think I'll use this analogy because I was thinking about it as we were, we were on a break there. And I think my way of thinking about tone is very much kind of like how I'd think about writing, which is for a long time, I was concerned with, let's imagine that you were, let's imagine that you were journaling or that you were writing a letter, for example. Writing, writing a letter is a great analogy, I suppose, in this circumstance. Um, I always felt that the conversations around tone were a lot like thinking, well, you know, what weight of paper or grading or whatever am I going to use? And then, you know, what kind of pen am I going to use? And is this pen right? And do I grip this pen okay? And, you know, is the, is the color of the ink, you know, what I was imagining? And I thought, you know, the thing that really matters to me is what is actually going on the page, regardless of the page or the pen or what's putting said writing on, on, on the page. I was really concerned with, what is actually kind of being portrayed on the page, um, which was a big part of it for me. And the change in my thinking has really come from, again, to carry on this metaphor, really, that, you know, if you're to ever receive a letter, which I don't even know if people do anymore, which is a shame, the world would be, you know, so much better with hand, handwritten letters, which would be cool. But I think about receiving one, and I think that the entire experience of opening, you know, a nice letter that you've been, that you've been, um, that you've been given, just the experience of holding the paper, having it in your hands, seeing somebody's actual writing as well. You can appreciate things like the calligraphy, the, the you know, all of those things that make up the message that's inside. Because ultimately the message doesn't change. But the um, the framing of the message, you know, the, the way that it's given is, is, is very important uh, because it makes you sort of have a bit of a, a bit of an affinity with with, you know, just that piece of paper with writing on it. And I think that that in the quest for you know, your sound, if you like, as a musician, I think that's also um, a relevant question to ask, which is, it's fine to be able to put across your ideas at the instrument or at the piano or whatever, whatever it may be, the guitar for us. But it's really, how do you want it to be presented? And I think as I've become more concerned with how it's presented, I think it's just a, a firming up of the fact that I have an idea or I have a concept or I have a general idea of how I want to put myself across with the technical side of the instrument. But it's then about what does the role of the instrument play or what is the role of the sound play? And so I've become a lot more concerned with that as well. And unfortunately, I have slid right down that um, I've slid right down that kind of cliff into into the big lake that is gear and stuff. So it's been like finding out about reverb pedals and all kinds of things, wiring a board and, you know, what sounds good? Why is there feedback? Why is there buzzing? All those sort of things, you know. Questions that really, they do help you be more creative. They really do. I mean, I have a great, uh, a great reverb pedal that I always sing the praises of the, um, the Source Audio Ventress because it has so many capabilities that I just, I'm never going to get to use all of them. But the fact that they're there 
it opens up the opportunity for what I could do with them. And of course, you know, there, there have been instances where I've used way more of the capabilities than I, th than I thought I would use. But I suppose in that sense, I'm starting to learn that um, you can maintain a sense of artistic equilibrium while also experimenting. So you never really lose what your sound is, I think is important. But yeah, my setup is pretty, is pretty minimalist in that, in that sense. Hmm. To quote the great Jeffrey Stokes, you can't polish a turd. <laughs> I, I genuinely, I went on Google there. I was like, who said that quote first? Apparently it's from the book, uh, Star Making Machinery, <laughs> Inside the Business of Rock and Roll. I've not read that book, but it's very true. You can't polish a turd and the, the input or the, the kind of music, I think we can maybe all agree comes first and the tone is more often an afterthought. Although it's not to say that getting that new pedal and just plug it in and being like, whoa, like I sound like I'm in space. Like, you know, sometimes it can work the other way, but you know, you need to have your, I think you need to have your stuff together. I know a lot of people will disagree with that because there are so many tone heads out there who are gear heads, tone heads. I feel like gear heads has more negative connotations here in the UK. Um, so we'll call them tone heads. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, some people like just, putting gear first and like chasing a sound and that's cool like but i think we all got into well i certainly got into music for uh the other side of it so i'm gonna put you in a situation here it's the old uh, desert island situation all right now i don't want you to start thinking about well if i have pasta and the sun can heat up the water i could make pasta we're talking about gear here okay so no pasta allowed top three pieces of gear that you would take on a desert island all right now be creative you know functional and creativity is kind of what i'm aiming for and i'm going for i would take my d'angelico xlss which is sat somewhere here it's kind of like a semi-hollow les paul ish thing it's a little bit bigger than les paul and i've just fallen in love with that guitar over the last three or four years um it just, it makes me play differently. And I think that's what I like about it. It's just really, it's changed the way I play compared to when I play a 3T5 or a Strat. So for that reason, I would take that guitar. Now, I would need an amp. So I'm going to take an amp. And honestly, when it comes to amps, I'm not that fussy. I like a tube amp and I like it to have as much headroom as possible. Um, now, I wouldn't take my big super amp because it's too rock and roll. Like, I feel like I can crank it, but it's going to sound like Led Zeppelin, which is awesome. But, you know, I, I, I like to uh, have a pedal for that, which you'll get onto. So I would, I'd get an amp with like a ton of headroom. I don't even mind what it was. Um, maybe like a twin reverb or something. Um, fairly simple. Um, and then I'd have a pedal. Now, the pedal I would bring, maybe I'm cheating here. Uh, I, would, I would use my Line 6 Helix because it's a multi-effect and I feel like I could get any sound out of that. And it's also quite good for editing like on the box itself. So I wouldn't actually need a computer to make cool stuff happen on that. So my desert island setup, let's just say we're implying that we've got like uh, strings and picks and leads. I'm not going to put them in the mix. Would be my XLSS guitar, an amp with a ton of headroom and my line six helix that's pretty much me like that's that's sorted easy peasy i think this is this question's made me realize something like really really important 
I don't think in my top three there would be a guitar. Really? Yeah. Are you coming out as a keyboard player right now? Like, in one sense, yeah. But you heard it here <laughs> first, folks. <laughs> it's no longer CJ Stevenson guitar <laughs> or music, Carol. Keys. Yeah. So, like, the only reason for that is because of the experience that I have. Again, what what I've mentioned before, sitting with a laptop, I've got something that triggers sounds. It's not a keyboard. It's something that actually triggers sounds. So, from that perspective, like the the most fun and kind of you know, like creativity that I can have is essentially this interface, this laptop and a MIDI keyboard. So for, yeah, that's like, you know, if, if that had to be my top three things for <laughs> Key J Stevenson, that's, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, yeah, that, that would probably have to be it. Um, just, I think maybe based on just the times that I've already had and the kind of things that I've created, um, just with those three things, I think that's like, it seems to be essential for me, essential for me now. Uh, so a bit of a shocker. <laughs> thanks good. for thanks for uh sharing that it's nice that you feel so open to express your love for keyboard in a mist three guitar i, well, I know right guitars. i know right <laughs> we all respect your decision jack put it yourself <laughs> hmm it's quite a tough one i think um i'm i'm immediately drawn towards like the minimalist approach um kind of like you were saying reese so Pretty much the setup that I have, which is really just my my Ibanez two three five five uh, with just the Ventress and then my Supro. Um, I don't know. There's maybe something in me that wants a little bit of kind of experimentation. Um, I don't really know. I think I, I think it all goes down to like there's there's a question under the question really the desert island question, which is like what is the least amount of gear that you can use you can use to to um to attain your sound really in some ways or to feel that you're putting across your true self whether you're performing or not what is the least amount of of, of stuff that you can use and it's funny i know we sort of discounted the idea of leads and picks and strings and that sort of thing but there's also a place for those as well i think in that i think you can be quite specific about those those things and 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 have a different relationship with the instrument as well because you know the funny thing as well is like i i I love my Telecaster it is, you know, my favorite thing as well. It, it opens a kind of whole different realm of, of playing um, and ideas. And it's also a much easier guitar to play. But I think for some reason I would opt to play the much more difficult um, Ibanez for, for reasons that I can't really explain. Perhaps just the, the, the personal relationship I have with it in general. Um, but I also think that at its core, when I play that instrument, even just plug straight into an amp with no with no pedals, no sounds, no compression, nothing like that. Um, I also do feel like it's a genuine connection to the sound I'm trying to portray. And there is that thing as well. I know we we we've kind of gone down the tangent of of amps and pedals and, and those sort of things as well. Um, but there is the the relationship to each guitar that you have as well. Of course, the guitar is a piece of gear in it, in its own right. But the way that you react to that piece of gear or that, that instrument as well is very personal. Because I find oftentimes, Reese, you actually said something very similar to this as well, which is like the relationship that you have to each guitar is slightly different. So when you pick up one, you have completely different ideas to the next as well. And it's a really important part to be able to change your mind 
because nobody wants to, as a creative, nobody wants to just sit at the same workbench each time and, you know, you end up going, kind of going through the motions. You don't really have anything new or different that, that comes out and it's pretty much the same sort of work surface. Really what we as creative people need to, to do is put ourselves in positions where, sure, we have flexibility and fluidity to be able to kind of change and experiment, but um, also that we have tools that seem to be able to... Um, work in different environments or help us kind of explore different environments as well. And I've always sort of felt that even though the Ibanez, for me at least, presents a lot of difficulty in playing it, it offers a lot of kind of questions to myself, which is like, well, what can I do with it? Or what could I do with it? Or have I tried this? Have I tried this hard enough? Have I never gone near this as well? Um, so, yeah, I think the big thing as well would be just like how specific it would be for me to pick the Ibanez over kind of any other guitar. And then everything else, I'm I'm pretty... I'm pretty cool on, to be honest with you, like I'm pretty cool on, yeah, I love, I love my Supro amp. I love my, 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 my pedals and that kind of thing. But I do realize as well that a lot of my sound, hopefully at least comes across is from the relationship to the piece of, you know, wood with strings on it, um, which is a big part of it as well. But yeah. Off the back of that, I want to ask you all a question and the question is going to be how important are the strings and picks you use? Now we've all been in a situation where someone's asked us what strings do you use man or like what pick are you using and i mean i used to sort of laugh about that question but having tried lots of things like lots of different picks lots of strings and to be honest i'm still on the search for like the perfect version of each one of these items and you know i don't think it exists to be honest i think it's uh it's fun to try out new picks and new i don't know little gadgets but yeah, how important are picks and strings for both of you? I know for me that picks are so important and I have a box of like picks right here and the perfect one doesn't exist in here, unfortunately. I thought it did for the longest time until I just tried something else and I was like, wait a minute, this feels like the one. And I'd text Jack and I'd be like, man, I've been trying Jazz 3s again after not using them for years. And now I'm back in love. And now, you know what? Even right now, like six months after that, I don't even use Jazz 3s now. I'm using these big things that I don't even know what it is. It's like a Jazz 3 XL or something made of some yellow material. And that seems like the perfect one right now. Um, the only thing I can say about strings is that I all, if possible, now it's not available in every gauge that I use. I try to use coated strings. I use them because they last longer and they just maintain their freshness. And if you're playing guitar a lot, especially playing live, I find that you just go through strings too quick. And now I'm at the point where I don't even, I actually don't quite like the feel of uncoated strings. They feel a bit too, like, jaggy. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, like, I'm all in on coated strings if possible. And picks, man, ask me in a year, I'll tell you something completely different. Nice, yeah. I I definitely feel the same about cottage strings now. I think after you, Reese, recommended me uh, some from Dadario. Um, I forget the name of the specific ones, but can you remember what what they were? Uh, XT, I think. XT, Dadario XTs. Um, yeah. As soon as I heard, like usually, I've just been kind of stuck with like Ernie balls for like the longest time. Um, and every so often, maybe kind of changing up that. Like, you know, the heavy bottoms and, like, thinner tops, like, the thinner strings and stuff like that, just to kind of see how that plays out. Um, but those coated strings, I think the, the the sound that you get, just really fresh strings, just plug it into an amp, was totally, 
not, I wouldn't say life-changing, but it just it made such a massive difference. It was a really, really big difference in the tone. Um, Pick-wise, to be honest, it's all context for me. If I want to play something like Super Funky, I'm going to use something that's like 0.6 or below. Maybe not, maybe, maybe not too, too far down below 0.6, but um, yeah, the majority of the time I'm using like one mil, like a one mil kind of pick that's just got the nice kind of finger grip, um, and that's pretty much it. But again, I was using Jazz 3s for years, and then for some reason, just something kind of said to try something new. Like, I don't know if this was the thing for me. Um, it's great for lots of different kinds of stuff, but it does really depend on that context and what kind of stuff I'm playing. Because again, like I can get I can get a super super scratchy sound for funk and stuff if I have a pick that just doesn't have as much attack on the strings. That's just a really key part of um, how much you want to dig into your strings and how much kind of aggression you want out of your your tone or maybe not. So that's probably yeah, that's probably probably what I would say for for pick. For reference, uh, this is a zero point six mil pick. Look at how bendy it is. Oh man, it's great. I love it. It's like paper. <laughs> I. I can't do leads I could, with that. I was going to say, like, you know when you're doing, like, I don't know, 16th note triplets doing that funky, like, like, that kind of thing. I could definitely do it with this, but I feel like if I was playing, like, I would actually want something a little bit harder than this. I like the resistance that it creates, so I get to really smack the strings. <laughs> I think I've only ever had, like, one, um, one big realisation about picks, because I started with... Um, I'll tell you where my realization comes from as well. It comes from a gig, actually. Um, but I, I, I use uh, Dunlop, what are these, 205s? Oh, I'm dropping it. Uh, everything is falling apart. Um, I use Dunlop 205s, and for some reason, I've just I've always got on with them. As soon as I changed from uh, Jazz 3s to the Dunlop 205s, it just it just kind of made sense to me. And I've tried stuff since with like a, you know, a wider sort of space on the thumb. Um, as well, I think Reese, you'd introduced me to is it the two oh six or the two oh four that's uh it has less of a kind of a point. Is that a smaller bit. one? It's it's not yeah, that I, one, is it? The big bad boy. It's that's the two oh seven, isn't it? Yeah, that might be the one. Uh -huh. So these little guys as well, perhaps if you're listening, you don't know exactly what's going on, but if you're watching then all the better. These little guys are graphite picks, so they're they're an amalgamation of plastic and I suppose is it carbon or something? Kind of create this graphite. Um, sound but originally I was looking for a sound that was less bright I was using jazz threes because they have that super fine point on them and they're and they're really accurate they're great for that they've also the, got the grip on them as well so you can um you can actually keep hold of your pick for an entire set of music which was really important <laughs> for such a long while um but yeah after a time I started to kind of I listened to recordings of myself playing and I started to think man the the brightness of this pick because I think a jazz three is completely plastic as well the brightness of the pick really wasn't resonating with me. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get on with that sound as well. And I didn't want it to be so um, apparent in recordings as well. And so I'd kind of done a bit of research and I'd, I'd, I'd bought a whole bunch of different picks and then sort of found that the 205s, and this is years ago as well. I found that the 205s really sort of worked for me for some reason. They just, they felt really even. They didn't feel like they were slipping out my hand. They were, they were, they were um, a lot darker, I think, than the Jazz 3. Um, but yeah, they just felt more comfortable. And the funny thing is, it came from a realization. So here's the story. I went to go see Jonathan Kreisberg about, ah, oh, it's probably five or six years ago now. Um, and he's warming up. I'm like one of the first few nerdy guitar guys that's sitting there at the front row, <laughs> of course. 
I'm sitting there and he's just warming up. He's just kind of playing through scales and whatever. Um, and he drops one of his picks. And if you've ever been to the Pizza Express in Soho, like the entire ground is is dark. Like there's lights. There's like very kind of small lights that are they're, they're in the ceiling, but pretty much the ground is dark. So if you drop anything important, you can pretty much kiss goodbye to it. Um, but he drops it and uh, he just picks up another one, gets a pair of scissors out of his pocket. I was like, wow, Jonathan Kreisberg, <laughs> he keeps scissors in his pocket for an entire gig. So he takes these scissors out and he takes his pick out, which I can't really see him a little bit far from it. And he snaps his thing in half and then he just starts playing with the end piece. So... Um, after a while, the light catches the floor. This is like midway through the through the gig. The light catches the floor, and I see this thing reflect the little kind of gold, um, the gold uh, writing of Fender Heavy. And I'm like, okay, let me pick this thing up. So I kind of picked up his one that he dropped. And I was looking at it, and this thing is really big. It's really kind of fat. And something I really like about um, Jonathan's sound is that it's, it's again, it's really even, but it sounds really full bodied. But it's also not too bright as well. And I thought, okay, well, maybe that's something to do with. You know what he's using so i picked this thing up and i realized that he was not using the uh the tip of the pick he'd completely cut that off and so um he turned the thing on its side as well so he was using like the fatter sort of edge of the pick as well so here he was very much kind of picking from that sort of angle instead of from from the point uh which is very cool but it then made me think okay well you know is this something i should explore and so i kind of explored by using his pick but then thought that's ah, not really for me i've got smaller hands um, and it's kind of what led me down to finding the 205 as well, just by, by finding something that had a less pronounced um, edge. Did you it. steal but, Jonathan Kreisberg pick? Is that what you're saying? I didn't steal it. I borrowed it for personal development. And if Mr. Kreisberg is listening to it, I would be happy to mail him the pick back. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was, it was a big realization for me as well. Um, and it was, a, it was a big step into the direction of Again, the subject that we're really talking about, tone and gear, is a big step into like, what is it that I appreciate about the players that I dig? And what is it that I also want to portray in my sound? And um, realizing that, that changing picks would, would, would really change you know, my approach and my sound and I suppose technical ability as well. Um, surprisingly, it was quite a big deal. Nice. All right, we're going to wrap it with a quick fire question here. All right. So we'll try and... Just fire round, not too much insight. I think we've expressed probably most of what we'll say here, but top three ki- uh, gifts for guitarists. No, that's not what I'm trying to ask. Top three tips for gear, let's just say. I could probably phrase that better. Um, and I'll just go first. So first tip is follow your ear. What sounds best to you is what sounds best to you, and that's fine, you know? Um, second tip is expensive gear. It's not necessarily better gear for you in the situation that you're in. Now, I've got some really, really nice gear, but I could also use a 50 quid tube screamer and sort of like still be happy. You know, it's like you don't need to buy the most expensive stuff at all. Like you can really get by with cheap gear. And the last tip is a little bit more practical. It's that the sound of you recorded is so, so different to what you hear in the room. And I had that realization first recording session I had I listened back on the playback and I was like that sounds awful and so I encourage you if you can practice before doing a recording session mic up your amp and listen to yourself playing through that because it sounds way different like everything's picked up completely different if you're you know six foot away from the amp Um, another thing you can do to practice that if you don't have uh, a mic is loop your guitar 
play some stuff and then actually sit up to the amp and listen to the amp closely and you'll pick up so much more nuance in the sound to realize what you hear six foot away from the amp is not at all what people are going to hear in the recording. That was a tough lesson for me. Who's next? Top three tips. Yeah, I'll go for it. So yeah, I can't um, disagree with the first one. So it'll definitely be just listening like that. That has to be uh, number one for me, just listening to what you want. Um, the second one for me would be test everything that you use to the extremes. Like, I mean, your guitar, your volume control, your tone, your tone pots, like everything, like go to the extremes with all of them and try and get as many combinations of things as you can. Just be like as diverse as you can with that instrument or the pedal. Like so many people just get new pedals and keep them at 12, 12 o'clock. And just, well, what's the point? <laughs> Learn to experiment a bit and just see what, see what things are like, you know, at nine o'clock when everything else is off. Try it at like six o'clock or just yeah go to the extremes basically um and really experiment with what you've got um the third one i would say kind of plays into them a bit of like one and two but try and maybe model other people's sound that you do enjoy like maybe do a little bit of research into people's sounds that you do enjoy so that you can integrate that into your own sound because you're looking up that person's sound because there's something fascinating about it so explore that and you'll naturally or organically pull that kind of influence into your own sound as well so that'd be my top three Callum those are great tips I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back to this episode and listen to those but that final one that you picked up is actually one that I just written down there which is like um yeah find out what you like about the players that you dig specifically what's going on with their sound and then look a little bit deeper into what's going on because you know obviously if you're into if you're into, say, the sound of Radiohead, uh, Radiohead's guitarists or whatever, um, the beauty of the internet is that everybody's pedal board is on, it's on the internet somewhere. I think that's something that you said, Callum, in a previous episode, like a, a while back. But you're right, like there's so much information out there. There's so much information and it can lead you to indecision, I think, a lot of the time. But if you really narrow in on what it is that you like about, you know, your favorite player's sound you can start to kind of experiment with some of their gear that you they use or, or, or whatever. Um, so I completely agree with that point. It's a really good point. Uh, my second one uh, would actually be to try to be as critical as possible, um, which sounds really weird me hearing me say that. Um, but yeah, try to be as critical as possible with what you're trying to get across to people. And I think that's like one thing that in the past I've been um, caught up in just buying things that don't really fit the idea of what I'm doing. I can think of pedals that I've had that have kind of stuck around and just they've been of no use really because I wasn't critical enough. I wasn't critical enough to the fact I didn't like the sound. I hadn't really experimented with it perhaps in, you know, in the shop or or whatever. Um, but yeah, be really critical of the stuff that you're you're trying because it might be that you find a pedal that is on your board for life. That's uh, that would be the 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 goal at least. Um, but yeah, be critical of that stuff. And then I think my final one would be don't be afraid to customize your setup. So whether that's, you know, um, cutting picks in half or it's modding pedals as well, or just messing with the setup of your, your instrument as well, it's completely okay, you know, to find your own, um, your own default as well, or perhaps find that your, your default needs some, some tweaking um, at times as well. And so some unconventional methods for doing that perhaps are, are, are a great way to get there as well. But yeah, just be a bit bold about things as well. That's what I'm personally learning because, you know, both you guys, I find um, you guys have, you know, a lot of real 
great information to kind of dive into as well that for me I, I still feel like I'm a little bit further back on that journey but yeah it's about the real the, the bravery and the, and the and the fun that you can have um from just messing with that stuff great well as a wise man once said no two picks are the same on that note we're gonna wrap it if you made it this far congratulations leave a comment let us know what your three tips for gear would be or if you have a fa- favorite pedal and you want to share that with us let us know because we're uh you know, we're always looking for that next hit of gear, you know. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do it in a myriad of different ways. You can simply share this with a friend. You can buy us a coffee via the link below. And you can also get some beautiful merchandise to support the podcast as well. Cool. Any final words of wisdom? Cool. Well, I'll see you all next week. Take care. <laughs>